1: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to talk about shift happens over the holidays. Now that was S H I F T. And um, my guest during the second half uh, is James Feldman. He is writing a book called Shift Happens, uh, Out of Work, Out of Money, No Problem. And he has some particular uh, ways of looking at this for what to do over the holidays. This is not a good time to be uh, having shift. <laughs> and I'm going to be talking to start off with Shift Happens Over the Holidays in Regard to Relationships because this is a very vulnerable time for people um the relationship the, the relationships the, the holidays are tough enough to go through when you have a significant other and a supportive family and a good job and everything else in your life is going rosy um it's hard because you know we have holiday stress and it comes mainly from um our memories, our nostalgic memories of what life was like when we were little, even if you know we had hard times when we were little, still during the holidays, for most people, we got some kind of presents, and um, we got you know it was a happy time. Even when people were poor or they were having struggles of one kind or another, they tried to get it together somehow for the holidays. And so we ha- and even besides our own families, you know, that's when uh there are the lights on houses and there are all the things that are associated with the holidays and we remember them as having been wonderful when we were little. We remember the lights seemed brighter and the, you know, everything, the packages <laughs> seemed bigger and even if they really weren't, but as a little kid when we were looking at the world with new eyes, um, to us it was very exciting. And now that we're grown and we have responsibilities and we may or may not have a job or, you know, our our paycheck may be less or how much we're bringing in um, is less or maybe less. And um, our world, of course, has lots of stresses on it um, from the ongoing threat of terrorism, which seems to be getting worse. To um, say various things happening all over the world, uh, people getting killed and, and in all kinds of horrible ways, you know that the news kind of is obsessed with, um, and and so it, we're not looking at the world. You know, the lights on the Christmas trees or the Hanukkah, the Hanukkah bush or the menorah, you know, may still be as bright, really, um, but our eyes are not looking at it with the same amount of wonder as an innocence as they did before. So, um this is a tough time and it's I think this year, you know, uh, wherever you, I'm, I don't know if you're seeing it where you live, but um where I live in Los Angeles, it just seems as though there are fewer um, decorations, fewer houses that have gone to the trouble of putting up the decorations, um, even fewer on on streets in in um, public streets. There seem to be stores. There seem to be there seems to be less of an effort to put up decorations, and I think it's a combination of um, finances, but also of just people being stressed out, just too stressed out with life, uh, so many other things that um that they don't have the energy left even if they did have the money um to put put it to put the energy into all these decorations and so on i'm not saying that it's not happening at all but uh, you know I, I wonder if you also see that that it's happening less um or there just seems to be less i don't know celebration um than in past years so on top of this scenario, on top of this landscape, um we bring relationships <laughs> an area of stress for a lot of people and um when it, even when it's not Christmas or Hanukkah or New Year's coming up and um as you all of you know who have been listening uh to the show before or or who have been watching television or listening to radio or print um reading print. Um, I have, or the Internet, of course, Uh, I can't forget that. Um, My book came out just recently called Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. Now, one of the things that I have in the book, in the the first chapter, is a bad girl test for the women um, in which they rate themselves on different Factors, uh, a lot having to do with childhood. You know, their how their what their relationship was like with their father, um, various other things in their life. But it goes back to childhood. Everything starts in childhood. The most important things that shape our personalities are in childhood. Um, and and for men, I have the sitting duck test, and that's a test that looks at childhood too. Um, things like uh, uh, the relationship that the man had with his mother and his father and and um uh, peers and and the the way that he was brought up um, and of course things just like with the women things up bringing things that bring uh you up to the current as well so like for example um, for men for being a sitting duck vulner- meaning men who are vulnerable, the most vulnerable to bad girls, you know you check off. <laughs> The, those items that relate to you, and you add your score up. And uh, whether it's for the men or the or the women, you know, you add your score up, and, and, like, for the women it means that you're anything from a wannabe bad girl to a man-eater. There are different levels. And for a man, um, you are different levels of sitting duck. The, la- the worst level is that you shouldn't start dating until you've had at least six months of therapy. <laughs> so, um, you know, some of the things for men that... Um, that make them vulnerable to to bad girls who are looking to make prey of them um, are are things like being lonely, being horny, being depressed, um having being in a situation where where there's stress and of course holiday stress could con- contribute to that. Uh, I don't mention holiday stress per se in my sitting duck test, but I'm just uh I'm just uh, extrapolating here, um, and the, the bottom line is that wh- there are certain times when um, we are more vulnerable to jump into relationships, even though a part of us is is trying to warn us, you know, flat, the flashing red light, trying to say, "Don't leap here, don't leap here," and yet um, we're at certain times we're feeling so needy and and hungry for love that we leap even though there is that still small voice telling us that this is going to end in heartbreak which of course it does so whether you're a woman who is you know looking for wishing well both men and women are wishing they have a relationship during the holidays because it's of course a lot better um to to have company (laughs) during this these stressful times or going to the parties you know of course there are um, company parties or other parties um, and even if it's even if you're just sitting home and watching things on television uh, like it's a wonderful life or you know any of the holiday kinds of fair that there is on television it's of course much nicer if you have a companion to watch it with and a companion who is your partner who you're having a relationship with makes it even nicer So um, this is a time, then, when women are especially um, hurt or disappointed when they lose their man or the man they were kind of counting on to be with during this time to a bad girl. Or um, a man who is, you know, especially vulnerable to a bad girl during these times. And let me back up a little bit, because for those I guess I can't count on all of you having listened to all of my shows in the past. I did talk about bad girls. Actually, we replayed it last week. Um, But in case you didn't hear, let me just kind of go over the basics, because it's sort of important to understand what I'm trying to say. What a bad girl is, Um, a bad girl is not somebody who's evil, but it's a woman who has started out by having a dysfunctional relationship with her father when she was growing up. And this could be either something really serious, like the father was abusive, or it could be something sort of inadvertent, like the father had problems of his own. He was an alcoholic, or he was depressed, or he was a workaholic. And whatever the particular situation was, it made the little girl grow up feeling as though she wasn't lovable. And thinking that no man was going to love her and that she wasn't going to find a prince, but this and this directed her towards relationships with bad boys, um, who you know men who did treat her badly in the way that she kind of expected. Different relationships, different dysfunctional relationships between the girl and her father, causes the woman to go towards um, different types. I, I, my first book was Bad Boys: Why We Love Them, How to Live with Them, and When to Leave Them. And so I define 12 different types of bad boys, and these women are attracted, depending upon their relationship with their father, to each of the 12 types of bad boys. Now what happens to women who then go on to become bad girls is that, yes, indeed, these bad boys hurt them, dump them, treat them badly, cheat on them, lie to them, and so on. Uh, 12 different ways of being bad. And um, that further confirms the woman's idea of herself as being unlovable. And so instead, she goes on to decide that she um, she's never going to find a prince. She's never going to find a man who's going to love her for herself. And so instead, she's going to get something from the guy. She's going to pick a guy who she can get something from, if not love, then something else. And in... My new book, um, "Bad Girls," I define twelve types, the dozen dangerous damsels, as I call them, twelve types of bad girls, so, for example, we have a gold digger who's looking for a man to give her money or gold or credit cards and so on, an addict who's looking for a man a man to give her drugs or alcohol or be an enabler, a sex siren who's looking for a man to um, worship her sexually adore her. Uh, a sexual withholder who's essentially looking for protection, a married woman on the prowl who's who's looking for an affair, a commitment phobe who's looking for a man to hang in there without a commitment, uh, a husband hunter and trapper who's looking for a husband, a husband stealer who's looking for someone else's husband, an ultimate damsel in distress who's looking for a lifetime a lifeline, a cougar who's looking for a toy boy a ballbuster who's looking for a yes man or and last but not least a bad girl scorned who's looking for revenge revenge on the man who is threatening to leave her so those are the 12 different types and um so all you sitting ducks out there you guys you have to these are the types that you have to be aware of and um you know it's really and of course women <laughs> Um, you need to look out for the guys who are going to be taking advantage uh, as well of this vulnerable time because both bad girls and bad boys um, prey upon, they know, they have a uh, radar that directs them to the man or the woman who is going to be most vulnerable to them, uh, to their, to their uh, what they use. And I talk about In Bad Girls, I talk about the six secret spells of seduction that the bad girls use. So they're looking for the men who are going to be most vulnerable to these spells of seduction. Well, we need to take a break. Um, You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. When we come back, we'll talk more about shift that happens over the holidays regarding relationships. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: the experts call toll-free right now 1-866-472-5787 Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com
3: are you ready to go green you've asked and we've heard you voice america presents the green talk network every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on The Voice America Channel.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses
4: in brains brain really fast
0: all the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts, VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about shift happens over the holidays. And during this first half hour, I'm talking to you about the shift that happens in terms of relationships, particularly regarding bad girls um, because of my new book that just came out, Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them, and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. And over the holidays, you're supposed to be expressing gratitude, which, by the way, is a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. When you start to feel down, I was talking about holiday stress during the first uh, part of the show, and uh, whenever you're feeling stressed, whether it's holiday or <laughs> or any kind of stress, but, but let's just talk about holiday for right now, um, you know, when you start feeling deprived, when you start feeling like you were, wish you were that little kid um, opening lots of gifts, uh, start... Instead, take a pause and be grateful. Start thinking about all the things that you do have in your life or that you are, you know, the talents you have. I'm not just talking about material goods, um, but people you have in your life as well, good friends and so on. And one of the things that I'm grateful for this holiday is um, the the reaction that I've been getting to my new book, Bad Girls, because it's just so, this is why I wrote it. In fact, I say in the dedication, um, it 's dedicated to help men and women find the love they deserve, and um i i can't you know it 's just come out so i can 't say that i I have that has worked yet, but it certainly has set people on the right path and what i 'm grateful for is how excited people seem to its it really seems to be filling a need because people seem to be really excited to get it, both the women um, who want to find out the bad girl's secret to secrets to a man 's heart because they're tired, sick and tired of losing out their man to bad girls, and the men who are sick and tired of being vulnerable to bad girls and losing their savings and their sanity in the process. And as I was saying in the first part of the show, that a bad girl is a woman who has hardened her heart, whereas a good girl is a woman who has her heart still on her sleeve and and gets hurt. Um, Again, I'm not trying to turn women into bad girls like the types that I was talking about, the addict or the gold digger or, you know, any of the 12 types. But I am trying to help women by giving them these secrets. I interviewed over 100 men, and I have the best stories in the book. And I, um, through from these stories, from all of the 100 stories, I, I distilled the secrets to a man's heart That any woman can use without really becoming bad, not to fit under these 12, not to become one of the dozen dangerous damsels, but to know how to attract the attention and to to get a chance and and to keep a man once they have attracted him. So it helps both men and women, and I am grateful for the need that this seems to be filling. People seem to grab it. (laughs) Of course, that could have something to do with the picture on the cover as well. But I wanted to talk about some bad girls who are in the news this holiday season. Um, One of them that really, um, some one story that's really bothering me that's in the news, is the tragic suicide of Mark Madoff, the son of of Bernie Madoff. Now, yes, of course, Bernie Madoff is a bad man, (laughs) and he built you know way too many people out of way too much money, Um, and his son just killed himself, hung himself, hanged himself, um, and the thing that bothered me, I mean, of course, that's just a trap, I and mean, he did it with a, a leash, a dog leash, which I think is rather symbolic of um, how he was feeling, you know, sort of being dragged around by his family, and I think as much of a sign of, of hopelessness that it was, um, it was, you know, that as far as the reason for why he committed suicide, it was also really out of anger. And I think he was angry at all of his fa- oh, and, and, of course, the significant part is that he did this on the day, the second year anniversary of the day that his father was arrested after he and his brother had um, told the authorities about what his father had done, which was right after the father confessed that he had done these things. Now people are saying that um you know the you I'm sure you've heard or read in the media that um that he was that Mark made off before he that his suicide people are attributing that to the stress that he was under um because of lawsuits having been filed recently and I'm sure he knew it was coming civil lawsuits um against him and his brother and a bunch of other people for um, by the person who is representing the people who lost their money trying to get money from whoever they can and saying that in particular in regard to mark and his brother that they knew more than they let on maybe they did i certainly don't know however if they did it seems unlikely that if they would have reported their father to the authorities um, when they when the father confessed to them what he had done I mean, obviously, they, they're smart enough to know that they would be getting themselves in trouble, too. But anyway, be that as it may, I'm digressing. I'm trying to get to the bad girl in the story. And the bad girl, as I see it, is Mark Madoff's wife, who, at the time that he suicided, she was in Disney World with their daughter. And um, I mean, how insensitive... Could this woman be? I'm sure these past two years have been really tough on her, Um but she knew that this anniversary was coming up. She knew that, uh, this anniversary of, of the arrest of, of the father, and I'm sure that that must have been a very hard time for Mark, uh, and probably for her. Last year, too, the one-year anniversary of when Bernie Madoff was arrested, obviously that must have been very stressful for the family. But how do you leave your husband um, on uh, at this time and go to Disney World with your daughter, uh, leaving your son behind with your husband? I mean, this just makes no sense to me whatsoever, and um, I don't know what category to put her in because I don't know enough about her background. Certainly, one could one could. Um, uh, Hypothesize that she was a gold digger that might not be too wrong <laughs> too far off um, but but certainly, the idea of i mean she had to be intelligent enough to know not that it 's all about intelligence you know sensitivity or being sensitive or insensitive i guess has doesn't just have to do with intelligence, or maybe one could argue has little to do with intelligence, but in any case. Um how she could have abandoned her husband, who obviously in the early morning hours, he sent um, uh, emails off to her, saying that he loved her, and um saying something that you know they, these emails made her become concerned, gee, you think uh about the safety of their son, who was with with him um that he when he killed himself, when he hanged himself, the son was in the other room um and so she the wife sent her father to go over and and look to make sure everything's okay and that's who found Mark hanged. I mean the whole thing is just incredibly sad, but I'm just you know it it does seem to I, I feel safe in including her um if not definitely under the gold digger category, certainly under some category, perhaps it was the husband hunter and trapper. I don't know which category she falls into but, into, but I'm sure she falls into one, or at least one, um, and, and was incredibly, incredibly insensitive by abandoning him at this time of year, when she knew that he would have been feeling terrible. He would be feeling a combination of, of guilt for having reported his father, and the father being in jail for 150 years, which essentially means that Bernie Madoff is going to die in jail, which, yes, he may well deserve. I'm not questioning that, but um my point is just about how a woman could leave someone that she supposedly loves uh at a time like this also something in the news currently or recently um was the tragic or sad it wasn't really it was a sad death of Elizabeth Edwards who was a real gracious fine lady um particularly under all the pressure and that she was under um, and of course the bad girl in this situation is Riel hunter who fits under the husband stealer category of bad girl and who undoubtedly um brought about inadvertently or not um, the the earlier death of elizabeth edwards i mean certain studies there's enough research that shows That people um, develop cancer, or have a relapse, or have a worsening of cancer, just like just like many other illnesses, um, when a person is under stress, because the stress lowers the immune system, and in regards to cancer, you know that that just makes the person more vulnerable to a recurrence, or or an onset, or a worsening of the cancer and um not to say i mean nobody knows but god how long elizabeth edwards would have lived had riel hunter not seduced um john edwards uh, but i i feel safe to say that it would have been longer than what what happened now i mean obviously the not only the um i mean it's not not to just blame riel of course i mean john edwards when i do my my update of bad boy is John Edwards, of course, is going to be in there as a misunderstood and married type of man, the, the guy who's married and, and finds a rationalization to go for a woman uh, to have a mistress, whether she's a bad girl. Well, I guess by definition she'd be a bad girl. but um, so, so it really is bad. I mean, and obviously he was the one who um, had the commitment Elizabeth, and obviously, you know, it is more uh, he who should be bearing the responsibility and the guilt for Elizabeth's death, premature death. Um, I mean, not only did she have to withstand uh, finding out that her husband was having an affair with Riel, but he lied to her for a long time about not being the father of Riel's baby. And, of course, that was the second shoe it dropped and that was incredibly, incredibly painful as well. I mean it wasn't just that her husband lied by having an affair but he lied he continued to lie by not admitting that he was uh the Riel's their baby's um father, Riel's baby's father. So, um so here are some, I mean, there are bad girls in the news all the time, quite frankly. There's sort of an epidemic of bad girls and bad boys because of a number of things happening, uh, primarily because of the number of divorces that seem to be uh, increasing from one generation to the next. And, of course, that causes it to, to, be, to be more likely that there will be dysfunctional relationships between children and their parents um for example a father who um, you know who well a father who has a mistress and, and doesn't and, and the, pa- the parents get divorced and the father doesn't see the little girl as much as he did when he was married to her mother for example um, and also of course there is the the um, glamorization of of bad girls and bad boys in the news i mean miley cyrus sorry how could i forget that Miley Cyrus is also in the news these days, and uh, for having, um, for being, a video was taken of her using a bong, um, and smoking a, a drug that is illegal in some states and not illegal in others. Um, but what really struck me from the video, I mean, she is on her way to becoming another Lindsay Lohan, who I mention in my book as the addict type of bad girl. But what was was really striking about that video was um, how sad um, Miley was looking, how pathetic and and desperate and sad. I mean, here she was laughing hysterically because of the effect of the drug and looking into the camera, and you could just see how incredible the sadness was just, it just came through the screen. It was just, it really made you feel very sad for her. Because, um, you know, because not only, I I mean, just similar to Lindsay, similar to Britney Spears, um, (coughs) um, they had parents who exploited them because they turned them into stars to, to enjoy the fame and fortune themselves. And then, of course, the parents got divorced. I mean, it was just horrendous childhoods that ultimately sent them down this road of unhappiness. And Miley is, uh, is a bad girl in the making, as I call her. Well, we're, uh, we need to take a break again. My guest will be coming up, uh, James Feldman, who is the author of Shift Happens. And uh, we'll go on to more shift. This is a different kind of shift that we'll be talking about during the second half of the show. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787.
3: Thank you for calling.
0: VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about how shift happens over the holidays. And my guest is uh, the man who trademarked shift happens you can tell right away that he's a smart guy, <laughs> a savvy guy with an eye to the future. He knows what's going on. Um, and he's going to be talking. His name is James Feldman, and he's actually um, in the process of writing a book called Shift Happens. How do you like, what a coincidence. Um, shift Happens, out of work, out of money, no problem. And he's going to be talking to us about how this relates to what we're going through over the holidays. Welcome to the show, Jim.
5: Thank you very much.
2: Well, tell us about this. Why? What what, what kinds of shifts um, are people looking at over the holidays, and how is it affecting them? And what kinds of uh, tips do you have, or, or ways to perspective do you have on this?
5: Well, this is a very difficult time of year for all kinds of people. I mean, first of all, you, there's certain expectations, you know, in terms of gift giving and hanging around the family. Often, the family that you don't get along with the rest of the year. But as importantly, it's a time for people to really take a new focus on what they're going to do in 2011. And I often tell people, you know, we've all experienced the surprise of how different a street looks when we turn around and see it from another point of view. And so it's time to kind of look back at what was and then look forward and say, what's going to be? And I kind of categorize that as a what-if scenario. You know, what if, what's possible, then what's next? Uh-huh. Because no one is going to go in and rescue you. And that's why a lot of the people that do motivational speaking are called self-help. The truth is the self-help is from the standpoint of the audience, not from the speaker. And, and again, from my own perspective, it's pretty easy to say that change is upon us and those who act will win and those who don't refocus will lose. It's that simple. And whether we like it or not, those are the facts.
2: Well, you know, the subtitle of your book, Out of Work, Out of Money, No Problem, um, there are a lot of people out of work and out of money right now during the holidays, which, of course, makes it even harder. And how do you say, why do you say, or what makes it no problem?
5: Because often when you're thrown into this kind of a situation, your plate is wiped clean. You didn't like it. But it was wiped clean, and now you can sit back and look differently. I I had a conversation with somebody about six months ago who was working for one of the big stock brokerage houses, and he lost his job. And he had a few dollars, not very many, um, and he went home and he started thinking about it, and a friend of his asked him to go over and check on his dog, the friend's dog. And he suddenly realized that everybody that went to work had the same problem, that they couldn't put their dog in a day camp, so to speak. So he set up a business where he goes and he checks on pets for $10. And pretty soon, he was making a $100 an hour, in essence. Then it became more than that because he started hiring other people who were also out of work. And now he's got 60 people doing nothing but checking on pets. There's no stress. The dogs are happy when they see him. The cats purr when they walk through the door. The goldfish come and greet him at the fish tank. And he makes $10 per visit. Hmm. At the end of the day, it's a cash business. Yeah, he's got, he's got no overhead, no stress, and he would have never done that had the change not taken place in his life.
2: And yes, and and he probably and he enjoys it much more than the job he had.
5: He said he said none of his none of his clients complain.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, um, you know, I guess one of the keys that. To, to all of this is trying to trying to not sink into um a depressed or or paralyzed kind of state of mind where you know if if you don't start trying to think of these things early enough on you get to where you're just um you say pity porch I'm going to say pity pot um and and um, you're too immobile to actually come up with these kinds of creative ideas.
5: Well, but the, but the creativity is often based on necessity. In in 1976, there was a movie called Network that many of your older audience might remember, where the the guy was a newscaster, and he stuck his head out the window, and he yelled, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. So as I was starting to write the introduction to the book, I decided to research his original speech. Mm. And while I won't waste your audience's time, I recommend that either they Google the quote or actually rent the movie. But literally, the speech that he makes in the movie in 1976 is identical to what we're all thinking about right now. Mm. And he basically says, I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to riot. I don't want you to write your congressman because I don't know what to tell you to write. All I know is that first you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. So I want you to get up now. I want you to get out of your chairs. I want you to get up and go to the window and stick your head out and yell, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And that's what we all have to do. Yeah. Because as I as I said to you earlier, nobody's going to ride in on a white horse and rescue you. you got to do it yourself. Because life doesn't give us what we need. It gives us what we deserve.
2: Well, uh, what do you mean? I mean, what do you mean by that? I mean, what do you mean by that?
5: Well, there's a difference between needs and wants, and there's a difference between those that go after change or those that react to it we're in the center of change and you've got to accept it and once you start to accept it you start to take control because success comes from turning problems into opportunities and if you don't do that you're not going to you're not going to be able to survive
2: okay so basically you're you what you're saying is that that we're responsible for ourselves and if we don't if we don't do these things to go with these changes or come up with these cre- creative ideas or um you know, recognize that no one's going to ride in on a white horse to save us and do something about it, then we deserve the bad things that we get versus if we are more um, proactive and and uh, we will deserve the good things that come from that.
5: Well, I, I don't think it's a question of deserve. I think we've long passed the deserve part.
2: Well, that's why you know, I was do- wondering what you... You said that we don't get what we need, we get what we deserve. Well, we get what we deserve
5: because we control our own destiny. Mm
2: -hmm.
5: Okay, as opposed to being entitled. Young people today have an entitlement attitude. Yes. I mean, I, I continually try to hire people in their 20s, and I'm very disappointed in the fact that they believe the world owes them a living. And I'm not trying to be categorical about every person in the world that's in their 20s, but there's a different work ethic.
2: Yes, that's true. Um... But,
5: and the same thing happens, you know, let, let's make it even easier in, in your realm. As a doctor, you prescribe medication, perhaps, and then the patient doesn't take it. Hmm. Is that your fault or is it the patient's fault? Clearly it's the patient's fault because without health you can't survive, and nothing is more important than good health. But at the end of the day, it's up to the patient to take control of their life and take control of their health, which is what they deserve. They deserve good health. And I'm not talking about somebody who is unfortunate enough to have contracted the disease through no fault of their own. But let's let's take the number one disease in this country, which is type 2 diabetes.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
5: Type 2 yes. diabetes, With for more most, are controllable.
2: Yes. Well, that music in the background says we need to take a break, but when we come back, we'll hear more from James Feldman about shift happens, and we're talking particularly about the shift. <laughs> if I say this three times, about the shift that happens over the holidays. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
3: Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station, VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Welcome back to Dr. Carroll's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at one 866 472 5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest James Feldman. We're talking today about shift happens over the holidays, and his upcoming book is going to be Shift Happens Out of Work, Out of Money, No Problem. Um, James is an amazing man who has who walks his talk um you know the, this isn't shift <laughs> um, he actually you know he he actually he he has he talks about um in his book uh the part the, so far what he's written i have thrived behind the scenes as well as failed in very public in a very public marketplace and he mentions i have been labeled morbidly obese and a poster child for a turnaround, successful weight management. So, um, Jim, why don't you give us, to so that people can kind of take home a a success story, an uplifting success story for the holidays. Tell people, give some examples of where you were and where you are and how you made this shift happen.
5: Okay. December is always monumental for me because 11 years ago I went in for my annual physical and they immediately asked to do a stress test. I failed the stress test. They did an angiogram, and I failed the angiogram, and the doctors came out and said, we have decided that you need a triple bypass. And being an A-type personality, I said, we were not in that meeting, and we have not agreed. Hmm. So they sent me home, but they scheduled it for Monday. sent me home on Friday. Saturday night, an elephant sits on my chest. First and only time I've ever had the symptoms of a heart attack. Fortunately for me, it was just stress, but at that point, I took control of my life, and here we are 11 years later. I've had no triple bypass. I've lost 270 pounds, and all of my blood workups and all of the other issues are textbook, and when I go in to see the doctors, they bring in other doctors and point to me and say, here's a success story. Here's somebody who actually got the message. And I was just mentioning that I would take all of my exams in December. That way I can remember them. And for those of you that know some of the numbers, I'll run through very quickly. My uh, cholesterol rating was 120. You know, you want that to be under 200. My LDL or bad cholesterol, you want to be less than 100. Mine was 52. The HDL, which is the good cholesterol, you want to be 40 or greater. Mine was 57. My blood sugar was exactly 100, so it's slightly elevated, and it's only slightly elevated because they just changed from 100 to 90 from the American Diabetes Association, and they did that a couple months ago. So now I have to tighten up my blood sugar a little bit. But at the end of the day, I have lost several people, 270 pounds. I play racquetball at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. I walk anywhere from 5 to 10 miles
2: so tell and people, you know, let me just mention, the other day I was walking through this, the CCU, the cardiac coronary car, car, coronary care unit, and I saw like a, a picture that I, should be in an advertisement. It was a man, you know, an advertisement to uh, tell people to take better care of their health. It was a man sitting in the coronary care unit in his bed propped up with a computer on his lap, you know, here he is, type A personality, still working in the coronary care unit. Um, but you, tell tell us how you made this shift, if you will. How did you get from that, you know, diagnosis of where they wanted to, to operate to this?
5: Life is full of sound bites. My father was a medical doctor. I grew up in a medical community. I knew that being overweight, I was going to die. And I know it won't come as a surprise to the rest of your audience to know that one day they too will die. So telling somebody they're going to die, especially in my case, never bothered me. I never reacted to it Mm. until one day a doctor looked at me and he said, let me put it to you in another way that maybe you'll understand you don't have a heart attack if you don't have a stroke and you become a vegetable you're a textbook candidate for amputation and or blindness mm. do i have your attention
2: <laughs> wow
5: that was it and yeah. i can hear that as if he said it to me yesterday
2: yes that seemed more real
5: yes because w- the world is made of sound bites and you, you, you come up with two primary ingredients of growth. One are the value to you, and the other is the sustainable opportunity. And you really can't have one without the other and be expected to grow. So if the value to me is that I'm not going to get amputated, I'm not going to go blind, that's pretty important. And the sustainable opportunity is I'm going to live long enough to enjoy it and be able to deal with all these changes in my life in a more productive way.
2: And did you figure out what it was that that caused you to become morbidly obese in the first place?
5: Yes, it was called eating. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: I know. But I was looking, look, I'm a psychiatrist. I was looking for the deep-seated, you know, I don't know, my father didn't spend enough time with me kind of reason.
5: Here, here, Here it is from my perspective. It is an addiction like anything else difference is that the general society is unforgiving for that addiction they're forgiving for alcohol they're forgiving for drugs they're forgiving for sexual appetite whatever addiction you have but overeating doesn't get forgiveness they basically say hey just quit eating and you won't be fat exercise more and you won't be fat well you have to figure out why you're eating and for me it was mindless my way of handling stress was to blindly, robotically, eat whatever was nearby. Mm-hmm. So I would skip breakfast, I would have a minimal lunch, and by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I would be eating the chair off the leg, which terminated in a bag of potato chips or cookies or whatever was nearby.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, that's a, a good thing to point out for the holidays because this is such a this is such a tempting time. everybody. There are goodies everywhere, um, and you somehow it's easier to rationalize why you should indulge in them because it's the holidays. I'll, I'll go on a diet after the holidays.
5: Well, but what needs to happen is you need to set up your own benchmark. So let me just kind of eat, be an evangelist for a minute. As I lost weight, I took in my clothes. I got rid of what I call my fat clothes. I have no fat clothes in my closet. Mm. Everybody who's heavy has more than one size of clothes, the thin ones, the one they're wearing today, and the one that they may need after the holidays. Well, you've then given yourself permission to get into those clothes. If you have no clothes that fit, you very quickly start to realize, I can't eat that piece of pie. Mm -hmm. I weigh myself every single Monday. I measure myself the first Monday of every month. And I go get blood workups every 90 days. And I get the blood workups because my blood workups were so bad that I now try to monitor them very tightly so that if I'm falling off the wagon, so to speak, I can correct it before it's too late. Yeah. Look, if I put on five pounds in a week, I'm five pounds away from taking it off. If I put on five pounds a week in a month, I'm twenty pounds away from taking off. That's a much bigger project.
2: Yes, yes.
5: So small. Oh my.
2: And we're uh we're thirty seconds away from having to say goodbye. Well, I wanna thank you very much for um being on the show. And uh that's James Feldman, his book Look I doubt you're gonna all forget the name, so look for it. It will be coming up in bookstores soon and or and on the internet uh shift happens out of work out of money no problem so that's going to be coming up that's what you can look forward to uh james thank you very much for being on the show and thank you all for listening um let me let me also remind you to go go to my website um badgirlsbook.com especially over the holidays look at if you go to badgirlsbook.com, you'll see the twelve dozen, the dozen dangerous damsels that you need to look out for, guys and women. You'll see, um, you'll see that too, and you'll kind of get a hint at uh, how they get the men and why you should find out the secret spells of seduction. So, thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.